There was a master who sent his servant to the meat market with these very plain instructions. I want you to bring me back the best piece of meat that market has to offer. And he came back with a piece of tongue. And the master said, I want you to go back to that market and I want you to bring me the very worst piece of meat that market has to offer. And he came back with a piece of tongue. And the master wanted to know, how is it possible that the tongue could be both the best piece of meat in the market and the worst piece? And he said, the way they explained it to me, they said, if the tongue is good, it's the best, but if it's bad, it's the worst. And you know that's true of the tongue that you and I have that resides in our mouth? I want to speak to you tonight about the subject of purity in speech. And to show you how important this subject is, I want you to notice that Proverbs 10 lists a number of contrasts between using your tongue for righteous purposes or using your tongue for wicked purposes. In fact, verse 11 of Proverbs 10 makes this declaration. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. But the violence covers the mouth of the wicked. And then there's this from verse 20. The tongue of the just, well, you could classify it and compare it to choice silver. But the heart of the wicked is worth little. And then verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many. And you know, when my lips speak, I want to feed people with things that are good and wholesome and easy to take in that are good for them, but fools die for want of wisdom. And then verses 31 and 32 of Proverbs 10, the mouth of the just brings forth wisdom. Is that true of your mouth? Is it true of mine? But the froward or perverse tongue, it shall be cut out. And then verse 32, the lips of the righteous, well, they know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaks, the King James says, frowardness, think perversity. That which is perverse. And so we see the contrast between how we use our tongues. But what are the consequences? You just heard in the reading that was done so well a moment ago what the consequences are. It's either justification or condemnation. Proverbs 18.21 contributes this thought. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think about that. Whether you experience eternal life or whether you're eternally separated from God, is going to be connected to how you use your tongue and how I use mine. Now someone says, but no one knows what I'm saying. The psalmist would make this observation in Psalm 139 and verse 4. He said to God, there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. You know every word that I speak. Even if the elders don't hear me say it, the preacher doesn't hear me say it, my children don't hear me say it, my parents don't hear me say it. I'm not proud of what I'm about to say, but I want to say it. There was a small slice of time in my young life when I thought I had to try to measure up to some of the guys at school and fit into their group, and so they talked a certain way, and I decided I wanted to be accepted by them, and if that meant talking a way that was different than the way I'd been taught to talk, I'd go ahead and do it. But you know, I found it very fascinating. The moment I hit the back steps of my house, I could shut that off immediately. 
I knew if I didn't shut that kind of talk out immediately, I'd be in the bathroom with soap and all kinds of other things going on. I didn't want my mouth washed out with soap again. I never wanted to experience that. Anyone in here by show of hands ever get their mouth washed out with soap? You say, I'm too, yeah, I see some hands going up. You admit it. Some of the, the folks in this modern time probably think, well, that's just not right. But I survived, and others did too. And you know we need to get to the point where we realize there are consequences for what we say. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. It's an important thing to train our children to speak in a way that's going to save their soul rather than to condemn their soul. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. It really is a matter of eternal life or eternal separation from God. I don't know if you've ever noticed it before, but the welcome slide that you have up on the screen, and you maybe have to be close enough to see it, it has your marquee uh, pictured in your welcome slide that you have up on the screen. And the marquee, I noticed this morning, read, He who guards his lips guards his soul from troubles. And that's exactly what this passage right here is indicating in Proverbs 13.3. You guard your mouth and you're guarding your life. You are definitely going to be helping yourself. But if you open wide your lips and just let pour out whatever you're thinking, the Bible says that's going to lead to your destruction. And this is a matter of whether I'm truly religious or just appear to be religious. If any man among you seems to be religious, but he doesn't bridle his tongue, the Bible says this man's religion is in vain, and he's deceiving his own heart. He's not truly what he claims to be, what he thinks he is. Now, this is a conquest, and it's a challenge. James chapter 3 says, The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, and it's full of deadly poison. The tongue is only three inches long on average, but it can fell a man six foot tall. People can take that smallest, or one of the smaller members of our bodies, can get us into such huge trouble. And we need to learn how to harness the power of the tongue and to use it correctly. Now let's talk about how important it is to avoid corrupt speech. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, this is the statement. Let no, how much? If you look it up in the original, it is emphasized with a double negative, which we try to avoid in English, but in Greek is sometimes used for emphasis. Let no, not even any. Let no, no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Some individuals have the idea that we're allotted just a small amount of uh, corrupt communication that we can get by with, but the Bible says not any. Don't let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but rather you ought to use your tongue, ought to use mine to the good of the use of edifying others, building them up, ministering grace unto the hearers rather than destruction. And the way that Colossians 4 and verse 6 puts it, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. I read a, a tract one time years ago in which it said, the top ten reasons that I swear, and it was written with very sarcastic intent and tongue-in-cheek statements. Number one, I swear because 
the ladies love it so much. Number two, it makes me a big fan of parents when I'm around their children. And it went on with lists like that. I don't want to be the kind of person that when I start blurting things out that are on my mind, I have parents wanting to shut their children's ears or husbands wanting to cover their wife's ears or their own. I want to avoid that kind of speech. And I want to look at some of the various types of speech that we ought to avoid tonight. Profanity is one of them. And when I say profanity, it's easy first to think of the four-letter words. And we'll talk about those in a moment. But you can be profane with a three-letter word, and that is the name of God. In Leviticus 19.12, God said this, and it's still true today in the New Testament system as well. He told the Old Testament folks, You shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. Now what right do does God have? I am the Lord. I have the right to tell you how to use the tongue that I created. I have that right. And thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. We've grown up in a culture where some folks express amazement by saying the name of God, and it's even infiltrated its way into our texting What do you think ONG stands for? What do you think that stands for? Someone says, well, uh, it's not, you know, God I'm saying. It's O-M-G-G-O-S-H. But my friends, the Christian's desire is not to get as close to profaning the name of God as he can without technically doing it. The Christian's desire is to not even come close. I don't want to be in the vicinity of taking the name of God in vain. And so there are other ways to express my amazement without having to say the name of God in vain or without having to text it in vain. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be involved in any way, shape, or form in taking the name of God and bringing it down instead of elevating it. The Bible in James 5 says, Above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but watch this. Let your yea be yea. Let your nay be nay. I ought to be so known for telling the truth that if I say yea, it means yea. If I say nay, it means nay. There's there's no kind of, uh, you know, wiggle room for that. I'm known for being someone that tells the truth. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But I don't want to fall into condemnation. Again, notice this is a heaven and hell issue, the way I use my tongue. I can fall into condemnation because of how I speak. And then Colossians 3.8. There are some things I need to eliminate. I need to take these things off and never put them on again. And among those things, anger. Sometimes words are spoken in anger. The very song, angry words, oh let them never from the tongue unbridled slip. So anger can often be connected with words that are spoken in anger. He mentions wrath and malice, malicious words and malicious deeds as well, blasphemy. And then watch this, filthy communication out of your mouth. I don't want anything to do with that. When I was a boy, I read a tract about this very subject, and I remember very vividly a story that was told in that tract. There was a man in town who had the best yard in town. It was yard of the month, month after month after month. 
He would work that yard, work in that yard, and he was so careful to keep it absolutely manicured and pure and pristine. And one day while he was on his hands and knees out in the yard trying to really weed out some things and make it look just as good as it could look, he heard a a clamor behind him, a clattering behind him. He turned around and he saw one of the city residents with a wheelbarrow full of trash, leading it right up toward his flower bed, and some bits of trash were falling out of the wheelbarrow onto the grass, and this angered this man. So he stood up and he said, What do you think you're doing? Do you have any idea how many hours I spend to keep this yard absolutely free from any weed, much less garbage? And you think, you're, what do you intend to do with that garbage? He said, I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do with it. In just a few seconds, I'm going to dump every bit of this garbage into your flower beds. You most certainly are not. Why, where would you ever get such an idea as that? And the man said, okay, I'll tell you what. You say you work hard in your yard to keep it absolutely pure and pristine. Well, let me tell you something. The other day, you walked by some young boys, and you dumped some garbage into their minds. You told them a foul story. And you put thoughts and words into their minds that are just, I'm being frank with you, garbage. And I'll make you a deal. If you'll quit dumping garbage into the minds of young men that I work so hard to help as I prepare my Sunday school lessons for them, I spend as many hours in my Sunday school preparation as you do in making your yard look nice. You quit dumping foul stories into the minds of my students and I won't dump any garbage into your yard. Deal? I don't want to be that person that speaks things that causes others to remember that which is perverse. In fact, Ephesians 5 warns against this. It mentions fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness. It shouldn't even be named among those who are trying to live a godly life, a sanctified life. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting. Now, it's okay to joke around, but there are some matters that are coarse jesting, and that's what's being discussed here. I I need to mention this because I've even run into, in my own experience, shockingly, some who take the position, hey, if it's just the boys and it's just the locker room, a little locker room humor, a little locker room language never really hurt anyone. Can I ask you something? In any of the verses that we've shown thus far, have you seen a locker room exemption put in there by the inspired writer? Is there any kind of locker room exception to the rule that is given in Scripture? No, I don't want to be involved in it, whether it's in the locker room, on the basketball court, the football field, after I hit a bad golf shot. I don't want to, if I'm angry at my children or angry at my boss or angry at my circumstances, I don't want things coming out of my mouth that are going to be filthy. I don't want foolish talk to come out of my mouth, and I don't want to involve myself in sexual innuendo. And sometimes, you know, people will take little things from sitcoms that are designed to uh, create a double entendre. It's 
you know, just really skirting and flirting with the edges of decency as far as instead of coming right out and saying it, it says something that puts the thought into your mind and this is not what the Christian wants to do. A slander is also something that I must avoid. The Bible says in Proverbs 10 and verse 18, if you hide hatred with lying lips and you utter a slander, you're a fool. Now I want you to stop and think about this first part. I know of a situation where a man, well, I'll just tell you, I won't tell you who, but I had a man come up to me that had always been so nice to me and publicly praised me and said a lot of nice things that really I didn't ever ask him to say or want him to say and weren't really completely accurate. To, he made me look better than I really was. So, But he was always so positive about me in public that when I had a meeting with him one day and he said, for the last three years, I have been collecting a list of your faults and I've got them here with me today and I'd like to meet with you about them. All he had was an envelope and I said, if you are telling me that you've listed all of my faults over the last three years on the back of that envelope, I don't think you've uh, got the whole list. I would not stand here or sit here and say that I have been a perfect man but I asked him this question. I said, now, if you've been collecting this for three years, why have you always been so positive to other people about me and positive to my face when really secretly behind my back you were feeling all of this? Why? That's deception. I wish you'd just come out and told me you were feeling these things early on and we could have addressed them. We could have dealt with them. Are you feeling something that you need to lovingly address with your brother or sister. Don't let lying lips be hidden by a veneer that's not really genuine. In fact, tell the truth about how you feel and work it out. Notice gossip falls right into this category. A perverse man will sow strife. He creates it. A woman could do the same thing. And I, when I say a man, I don't mean just men and just women. It's really a blend. Both parties can be involved, male and female, and they whisper, did you hear? Did you hear the news? Yeah, come here. I'm going to tell you, but don't tell anyone you heard this from me, okay? That kind of mentality separates the best of friends. And if you cover a transgression, that's a loving thing to do. You don't look for every single thing and you're not always in the fault-finding mode, and you're actually trying to help someone cover their transgressions, not cover them up, but cover them with the blood of Christ. But if you go around just repeating a matter, you're going to separate the very best of friends. Is there any value in saying what I'm about to say? You've all, you probably heard this. If I got a dime for all of the uh, negative words that I say, and I got a quarter for all the positive words that I say, which one would I get the most money from? The positive things that I say or the negative things that I say? He that goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets and therefore don't even... Oh, but he's so nice to me in person. You want to be careful about the flatterer, the one that's always buttering you up and seems to be going overboard and buttering you up. Because oftentimes behind that, 
there can be something else going on. And you know, when a congregation has division, and I, I've not been briefed about anything here, so don't think that he's talking about a certain, I don't know anything about any situation. I'm speaking in very general terms. It's the same thing I would say if I was speaking in any other congregation tonight. But if there is congregational strife, it's often precipitated by and perpetuated by just talking and not even knowing all the facts and pretty soon someone says such and such and someone's, did you hear about the preacher and his wife getting in the big fight the other night at a public restaurant? Did you hear about it? Yeah. This preacher moved into town and the rumor was going around big time that he and his wife had gotten into a huge fight in public at a restaurant. And it got such traction that he finally called a meeting of everyone that uh, he could get to come to the meeting. And he said, let me address this rumor about me and my wife having a huge fight in public at the restaurant. He said, number one, I was not even at the restaurant on the night in question. Number two, I had no fight with anyone on that evening in the restaurant or elsewhere. Number three, I'm not even married. (laughs) And you know, this is interesting how people can sometimes jump to conclusions. We had two preachers at South Haven, and some years ago, I went to a lectureship, but my wife wasn't able to go. The other preacher at South Haven's wife went to the lectureship, and the rumor got going among some. I found out about it midweek that we were having a big fight and weren't sitting together the whole week of the lectures. We never sat together. Well, I didn't sit with her because she's not my wife. It was another preacher's wife, not mine. But people jumped to the conclusion, oh, He's the preacher at South Haven. She's the preacher's wife. She's one of the preacher's wives at South Haven, but not my wife. And so you've got to be careful before you and I, we've got to be careful before we just go out telling things and creating unnecessary strife. Because as coals are to burning coals, it just keeps the fire going. And as wood is to the fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife, always getting things stirred up. And that is exactly the problem in many places. The words of a talebearer are as wounds. They hurt and they cut and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. There was a young boy that was confronted by his grandfather, his wise grandfather, because he found out the boy had been telling things that weren't true and he'd been spreading it. And so he said, young man, I want to teach you how damaging it is to say things that aren't true. He said, I want you to take these 10 feathers I'm about to give you and I want you to go put a feather on 10 different doorstops, 10 different doorsteps in town And then I want you to wait 24 hours, and then I want you to go back, retrieve all 10 feathers, and bring them back to me. And when the boy went looking for those feathers 24 hours later, you know what happened, don't you? He found three of them. The others he could not find. And he brought back three feathers, and his grandfather said, Son, 
You don't know when you tell a story just how far it's going to go or where it's going to land, just like you couldn't find all those feathers. Just 24 hours after you put them there, they'd blown away to other places, and you don't know where. The same thing is true when you tell stories. That can spread and go to places you never imagined. And before you know it, people are hearing things that aren't even true, and you'll never even know who all heard it. It was a very impressive lesson and we ought to be reminded that we not be backbiters. Romans chapter 1 and verse 29, that is something that is condemned by Scripture. This mouth is supposed to be speaking consistently and to the best of my ability. I need to be blessing the Father with this tongue of mine, not cursing men with this tongue of mine. Some try to praise God on Sunday and curse men on Monday. And he says in James chapter 3, out of the same mouth you've got blessings and cursings proceeding. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? No. And the mouth is not supposed to be sending out contradictory things one day this and the next day that. We need to keep that in mind. Let's talk about lying. There were these four boys that decided they were going to skip school one day and they decided that uh, they would come back and just skip part of the school day. They didn't really want to miss the whole day, but they had a test in that first period and so they decided they'd just skip and their story was going to be, if we get asked about it, we had a flat tire and that's why we weren't able to be here in time to take the test. Okay. They got to school. The teacher said, where were you? Oh, uh, we had a flat tire. She said, okay, boys, I want all four of you to go into four different corners in this room, and I want you to answer one question for me on a piece of paper. Which tire went flat? They hadn't thought that far ahead. They hadn't gotten their story that far ahead. You and I need to realize that the tongue often devises mischiefs and it's often like a sharp razor working notice deceitfully. And that's why the Bible says of the seven things that God considers an abomination in his sight, if you want to know how big of a deal lying is to God, then consider that of the six, yea, seven things that are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that sows discord among brethren. Definitely two of those involve the, the lying tongue, and others involve the tongue. Sowing discord among brethren is often done by the tongue, and these kinds of things that are mentioned here in this passage are still an issue today. I want to be recognized as someone who tells the truth because the lip of truth shall be established forever, Proverbs twelve nineteen. But a lying tongue, it's but for a moment. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord. They that deal truly are His delight. This is an abomination to God. I want to tell you again, I'm not proud of this. And I'm certainly not recommending it to anyone hearing me talk about it. But my dad taught me one of the most significant lessons in my seventh grade year that I was ever taught in my youth. 
I was cruising along doing so well in school that I got the notion. Obviously, I didn't do very well in math uh, to, to have this idea, but I got the notion that I could take the last three weeks off, not have to turn in any assignments, study for any tests. I knew I checked with my teachers. What's my current grade, they told me. And so I thought, I'm done. I'm done for the quarter. I did not realize how quickly zeros could make an A turn into something that was never going to want to be seen by my parents. All of a sudden, the zeros start adding up, the grades start going down, and I find out right before the end of the quarter, with no time to fix it, that I'm going to get some grades that my parents had never, ever seen on my report card before. And I was scheduled to go to a ball game a major league baseball game. I knew my dad well enough to know that if he saw that report card, I would not be going to that baseball game. And so I got the not-so-bright idea as I headed for Christian camp, which I really needed, obviously, that week. I called my brother aside, and I said, Hey, I'm afraid my report card's going to come in the mail while I'm at camp this week, I need you to intercept the mail this week and get my report card. And when I'm back from the ball game, I'll show it to Dad and let the chips fall where they may. When my dad picked me up from camp that Saturday, he didn't say a word for 90 minutes. I knew my brother had failed in his mission. <laughs> I knew. And it was very awkward and uncomfortable silence. I think he was waiting for me to fess up, and I should have. Finally, he said, son, what were you thinking? And I had to admit I was thinking very selfishly. But I'll never forget. He said, son, I know you're going to think that this is extremely harsh and severe, but you're grounded for the summer, the entire summer. And it did sound harsh, but he explained it this way. He said, all liars will have their part in the lake which burned with fire and brimstone, and that's eternal. It's not for a summer. It's eternal. And if I don't drive this lying out of you now, in, I'd, rather you be, I'd rather you be grounded for a summer than lost for eternity. I did get off for good behavior a few weeks later and got to enjoy about seven days of summer. But I want to tell you something, dear friends. It's one of those situations where I never forgot the message that was being given to me that day. And a faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. And we don't need to be going down that path because if you speak lies, you will not escape and you will perish and the man that heareth speaketh constantly. The man that heareth speaketh constantly, consistently. And that is what we need to be, is that kind of person. In John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil. I don't want to be like the devil. Well, what was he like? When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. He is a liar and the father of it. John chapter 8 and verse 44. And there are those liars who are claiming to be religious. They're preachers, 
but they're telling things that God never said. That was going on in Jeremiah's day. It's going on in our day. We need to be aware of it. There are still folks claiming that their message is from God when really it's out of the deceit of their own hearts. And to show you how lying can catch up to you eventually, I'll tell you this as we start closing out. This boy got on a train, and there was a man sitting there with his luggage, but he put some of his luggage in the seat next to him because he wanted a little elbow room in the train ride. And so he took some of his luggage and put it next to him, and when people would spy that seat out, he he would say, oh, well, I'm sorry, that seat's taken. A man uh, left his luggage here and got off the train, but he said he's coming back. And so everyone that came and tried to sit there, he would tell them the lie that that's someone else's luggage. He's coming back for it. Well, the last boy, the last person to, to look for that seat was a little boy. And he said, son, you can't sit there. That's uh, someone else's luggage. And they just got off the train, but they're getting right back on. Right about then, the train started moving. And the boy thought about that poor man who had gotten off the train and didn't have his luggage, and so he promptly threw it out the window. <laughs> you never know when your lie is going to catch up to you. Be sure your sins will find you out, the Bible says. We need to tell the truth and not be someone who is deceitful. And speaking lies and hypocrisy, as First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 speaks of some, not false prophets that come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. We need to try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now as we close, I want you to notice some verses to speak by. Here's some verses that I want to make a motto in my life. This is the way I want to... Here, I love Psalm 17.3. I love the last part of it. I am purposed. I mean, I'm determined that my mouth shall not transgress. I will think twice before I speak once. I will recognize that I have two ears and they're exposed and they're not made to shut. I have one mouth. It's enclosed and it is made sometimes for me to be able to close it. I need to be able to close that mouth rather than let words start pouring out without thought. Uh, here's another great motto for my speech. Let the words of my mouth, and notice how it starts as we read, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, Matthew 12. Same thought here. The meditation of my heart will determine the words that I speak. Let all of that be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer, Psalm 19:14. I love Psalm 39.1. Here's a great motto. I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I'll keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. Psalm 39 and verse 1. And I won't be rash to just speak. In fact, I'll honor Ecclesiastes 5.2. It says in the last part of that verse, let thy words be few. Because if I am... Swift to hear, but slow to speak, that will indeed be the much better way. James chapter 1 and verse 19, and if I want to love life and see good days, I'm going to have to refrain this tongue from evil and my lips from speaking guile, and I'm going to have to be able to slow myself down enough 
to give a soft answer rather than grievous words that stir up anger. And I don't know if you as a married couple have had a tiff recently or not, but I know that as you look back over, you know, the time that you've lived, and by the way, one of the lies that I think maybe is sometimes told is the fellow that said, we've been married 50 years and never had a crossword, never disagreed once. Well, maybe that's not a lie, but that's rare. <laughs> that's definitely rare. Most of us have had a disagreement. How do you disagree, though? Sometimes the loudest one wins. No. I raise my voice to make my point. Well, I've got to match that. Well, now they've matched my volume. I've got to exceed that. And pretty soon, if you're not careful before you know it, there's a full-fledged shouting match going on. What does that do? What does that accomplish? What does that fix? It doesn't. A soft answer turns away wrath. Grievous words are just going to make it worse. They'll stir up anger. I can guarantee you the Proverbs writer says in 1019, In the multitude of your words there will be no lack for sin. But if you refrain your lips, you'll be wise. If you have knowledge, you'll spare your words. You won't feel like you always have to be gushing out information because sometimes that information is going to be misinformation and you and I need to be speaking accurately and be speaking thoughtfully. Even a fool, when he holds his peace, is counted wise because he's not putting his foot in his mouth, at least at that point in time. And if you shut your lips, you'll be esteemed as a man of understanding rather than opening your mouth and removing all doubt, as someone said. You keep your mouth and your tongue, you keep your soul from troubles. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three, And a word spoken in due season, how good is it? Proverbs fifteen twenty-three. as I close. Have you ever met someone that just to be around them was always an encouragement and a breath of fresh air? There's a sense of positivity about this person, and they always have a way of building you up and making you feel better. Have you ever had the opposite experience? There's someone that's always in the negative, 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 negative. They're always talking about someone or something or always speaking uh, perversely and you just don't want to be around them and you find some place to go so you don't have to hear the things that they're saying. I want to be the person who speaks a word, uh, pleasant words that are like honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. And we finish where we started, Matthew 12. Friends, please realize this tonight. Every idle word that men shall speak they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Your words are going to determine your eternal destiny and mine. By your words, you'll either be justified or you'll be condemned. Do you know what sweet words we'd love to hear ring out across this auditorium tonight? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I do. Just like we heard this morning. And what a sweet thing it would be to hear... And see someone be baptized again tonight after uttering those beautiful words. Friends, maybe your words have been private and you don't need to make any kind of public confession. But I'm telling you, if you are someone who's been misrepresenting the Lord and the church and your family by speaking in ways that ought not be heard anywhere, public or private, you know what you need to do. And I hope you will fix that. In view of eternity, if you're not a Christian, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Where did you come up with all those things? I didn't come up with them. 
They come from the book of Acts, and they're part of God's plan of salvation. And I want you to read the book of Acts and see if I'm telling you the truth about that or not. If you're already a child of God, hear the words I most want to hear from my Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. In view of that, in preparation for that, won't you come as together we stand and sing? If you need to, won't you please? <laughs>